0: Welcome to the Press 1 for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Glemsdahl, and my guest this week is John Pico. Our guest, simply put, helps companies impress their customers. He is the founder of Watermark Consulting and a leading expert in customer and employee experience. He has advised C-suite leaders at some of the world's foremost brands, helping companies capitalize on the power of loyalty, both in the marketplace and in the workplace. Today, John joins us to talk about his fascinating new book, From Impressed, to Obsessed, 12 Principles for Turning Customers and Employees into Lifelong Fans. John, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Hey, Nick. Good to be here with you. I am excited to get started. Uh, Looking forward to the book. But the first question I have for you that I have for every single guest at the very beginning is what's one thing people
1: might not know about you? How about that I was a radio DJ in college? That's something most people don't know about me. Sophomore year, I, uh, I, I walked into this radio station uh, on campus, and um, it was actually a commercial radio station run by students. So it didn't receive any funding from the university. And uh, I was uh, interested in being a DJ in order to get an uh, attractive time slot. I had to sell radio ads for the station, but I got a, a Sunday night time slot. Great time slot for college radio. The funny thing was it was sort of an alt-college radio, alt-rock kind of station. But because I was bringing in all the money with the radio ad sales, they let me play whatever I wanted. And so I got to play the music that I liked, which was, well, it was called oldies, I guess back then, but, you know, pretty much 50s, 60s, 70s music. So it sort of stood out like a sore thumb on that station, given the genre that was played on all the other uh, shows. But uh, it was a good time. (laughs) (laughs) What was your DJ name? I did, I didn't have a, a separate DJ name. It was just me. <laughs> so uh, yeah, very- I, I live in infamy. But I can't separate my DJ persona from my real life persona. <laughs> I love it. So what do you call oldies today? Yeah, I don't know. I'm probably going to date myself, right? If I even try to go there. I mean, is, is an oldie like, you know, 80s and 90s music? I don't know, uh, uh, but... I think the music of that era, 50s, 60s, 70s, has tremendous staying power, which is a a testament, I think, to how good that music really was. I love it. So speaking of staying power,
0: I want to talk about this new book. And uh, right at the very beginning, you talk about the very opening line. It says, if you are aspiring to satisfy your customer, then you are aspiring to mediocrity. That seems to contradict a fundamental business tenet, with, uh, which we're all familiar with, namely that the customer satisfaction is key. Why should we all rethink that?
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, not to be blunt about it, but I do think that customer satisfaction is a one-way ticket to the business graveyard. Uh, and, And the reason I say that, and the reason I say that it is like aspiring to mediocrity is because there have been plenty of studies that have shown that satisfied customers leave all the time. And so uh, I believe that if you're trying to derive competitive advantage, strategic advantage, economic advantage from the experience that you deliver, it is not enough to merely satisfy your customers. You need to impress them. Uh, and I think impress is really the operative word because what you really want to do is create this indelible impression in their minds that's going to cultivate the uh, repurchase and referral behavior that's really the lifeblood of any thriving business. And that's not something that you get just from merely satisfying people.
0: Mm. So the old saying, dress to impress, maybe the new way is impress to retain. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that uh, you know, you want to impress it's it's maybe impress even to inspire. Impress people to inspire to inspire them not only to stick around, but to say great things about you to others. Because it's interesting, you know, the word retain is is sort of like a third rail word, I think, in, in customer service and customer experience. Because there are a lot of companies that focus on measuring their success based on, well, have we retained our customers? But there are a whole host of reasons why you might retain a customer, and yet they might not be loyal to you. Um, you know, I can tell you personally, my cable company – I've been with them for two decades, and there's probably someone uh, in an office or in a cubicle at that company looking at my record saying, boy, John Pico is really loyal to us. But you know what? I don't have a shred of loyalty to them. The only reason I've stuck with them is because I don't have a good substitute to go to in my neighborhood. Um, And so... Yeah, I think that, you know, you don't want to just focus on retention. You want to impress, to inspire people so that they just can't, you know, help but want to continue doing business with you and they can't wait to tell others about you. And, and that's really, you know, that the bars, that's setting the bar pretty high. But I think companies that are legendary in this regard, that's the bar they meet. I couldn't agree more. Let's touch on what you just said about your your cable
0: company if somebody came in tomorrow and they had the exact same price or maybe even a little bit more would you change companies
1: absolutely i mean i would i would at the very least i would certainly explore it and look at it carefully and i think that this is that is a dynamic that has played out time and time again through the annals of corporate history you know if you think about it the annals of corporate history are littered with the corpses of companies that Because of their market power, in my case, a cable company that has a lock on our neighborhood, right? Because of their power, they just sort of said to themselves, well, you know, we don't need to really deliver a great experience. You know, we can just be okay at best because where are they going to go? They got no other place to go. But then, you know, that actually creates an environment that is just ripe for disruption. Uh, You know, that creates an environment where you have other players that will eventually enter the market because they see an opportunity. And, you know, you have to look no further than a company like Blockbuster Video to see how this plays out. Um, Right. I mean. For anybody that was around when Blockbuster was here, I and mean, Blockbuster was not a bastion of customer experience greatness. Yeah. I mean, if anybody, you know, what would it, when you thought of Blockbuster, what did you think about? You thought about late fees. You know, they just loved their late fees. And so what happened to Blockbuster? Um, you know, they, they disappeared uh, because Netflix came in. And I would argue what they did is created a platform for a much better customer experience. And by the time the folks at Blockbuster realized what was going on, it was too late. Um, And I think it's those kinds of lessons that really uh, companies that neglect customer experience because they're just like, hey, you know, we're the 800-pound gorilla in the market. We just don't need to focus on that. I think they need to look at those lessons from corporate history to see where that ends up. Yeah, I I love that.
0: And it brings me to my, my next question is, what would you consider the most universal problem in customer experience today?
1: Uh, so I'd say that one, um, which I, I think is really being accentuated right now with the great resignation uh, is companies not fully appreciating how the experience of their employees influences the experience of their customers. Um when people think customer experience, uh, you know, their heads go to these traditional interaction points, whether it's the website, the contact center, the live chat, the text, the uh, live in-store, retail, brick-and-mortar interaction. And those things are obviously critically important. But where I think a lot of companies miss the boat is the notion of, are we setting our own employees up for success? Are we creating an environment for them that equips them with the right skills and tools in order to deliver that exceptional experience consistently to our customers? Uh, And and that's where I think many companies go wrong because, you know, I've always found that 99% of the people that come to work every day, they want to do a great job for you as a leader and for your company. But what many, where many organizations go wrong is they don't realize it, but they have inadvertently sort of put impediments or obstacles in front of their employees that, um, Despite their best intentions and best efforts, it makes them diff makes it difficult for them to deliver that great experience. And I know a lot of your listeners uh, you know, um are, are probably involved with traditional customer service uh, interaction points. And so if we just take contact centers as an example here, a classic example of what I'm talking about is the contact center, where they tell their agents, hey, listen, we want you to wow our customers, deliver a great experience to them, okay? Um, but the primary thing we're going to measure on on is average handle time. You know, so wow them, but make sure you're looking at your watch because you go over three minutes on the call, you know, we're going to talk to you. That creates internal conflict for those reps. And that's what I mean about the experience and the cues that you're surrounding your workforce with. Are they truly aligned with the kind of customer experience that you are aspiring to create? And that's where I think many companies have gone wrong. And I think it's in part why you're seeing, as this shift has occurred recently in power between employees and employers, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of people leave. You're seeing the great resignation um, because people are looking for alternatives, looking for an an environment that allows them to be the best they can be personally and professionally for the people they're serving.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. When it comes to the contact center, you touched on a little bit, and I want to uh, ask you another further question but everybody gets focused on on the metric and i think it's because what am i going to what's my quarterly business review what's my annual review and what am i being measured on if it's the average handle time then they're going to focus on those average handle time they're going to see the the red light pop up when it hits that 3 minute mark or the 7 minute mark or you're going to get a a nasty gram from leadership or management because you said something or you stayed on the, the call longer because you wanted to provide a little bit longer empathy uh, for that specific customer. And so you, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to those metrics. It's it's what measured gets managed and and uh, you need to continue to focus on what's important to the customer and how do you drive those experiences for that employee. So I couldn't agree more. You know, one question I do have for you, though, is what is the difference from your perspective between customer experience and customer service?
1: Uh, so I, I think it is very important to understand that those two terms are, are not interchangeable and they're not synonymous. Uh, you know, in my view, customer service is but one component of customer experience. Customer experience to me is the end-to-end experience. It encompasses every live digital and print interaction point that people could possibly stumble across when they interact with your company, even before they're a customer, uh, you know, the customer experience begins before anybody's even a customer. Uh, the first time I hear about your firm, be it on a billboard, through a social media post, through something a friend or a colleague says to me, right there, the customer experience has begun and you're starting to form these perceptions and these impressions of this brand. So that is to me a much broader animal than customer service. Customer service is, is I think it's critically important, but it's one part it 's one episode when people think customer service they don 't think sales they don 't think product configuration or installation necessarily they don 't even think about defection you know from the company, which i 'd argue is part of a customer experience as well if If a customer decides to leave that 's a touch point that' should be managed as deliberately and intentionally as any other in the life cycle. So that's how I would describe them as different. And the other thing I would say that I think also underscores how they are two different um, animals is you could argue that in many industries, the need for customer service actually indicates a problem with the customer experience. Uh, so, um, you know, going back to like my cable company, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I cannot wait to call my cable company today. You know, just like nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to call my insurance company or my utility, whatever. And so when you are in an industry where, uh, you know, that dynamic plays out, essentially when people have to reach out to you, um, not to buy something, but, you know, because they have a question, it could be because – something has gone awry, something's gone wrong relative to how they thought the experience was going to unfold. In the case of my cable company, maybe it's I got a bill from you and I just don't understand what you charged me for. So if they did something different with the bill upstream that helped to preempt, obviate some of those customer questions, that would reduce the need for customer service, which in my view is actually a better customer experience in that industry.
0: Yeah, you're, it's so true. There's a guy that I interviewed a while back and he was on the the mortgage side and he's like, I would send something to someone and it would be 40 pages long and I would have to come back, jump on a 30-minute call and then another 30-minute call and then another 30-minute call. He's like, so what I decided to do was every time I'd send something, I'd send a video, a 30-second video and saying, hey, you might get confused here. Don't add this there. Do this, do this, do this. If you have any other questions, please let me know. And it significantly reduced his Interactions and it created a better
1: experience because that friction, that uncertainty, and that gray area was not there anymore. And so, yeah, I think that's a great example. And, you know, what it really illustrates is the importance of looking upstream, you know, stuff that is outside of the traditional uh, uh, box of customer service. Because a lot of customer service um, organizations, what do they focus on? They focus on How can we more efficiently and effectively handle the inquiries that are coming to us? And, you know, that is a worthwhile cause. But they should also be asking themselves, how can we completely eliminate the need for some of those inquiries in the first place? And in your example, the idea of, hey, let's couple a video with this dense, hard-to-understand document that we send out. Well, that's a great example of an upstream improvement that potentially preempts the need for downstream customer service. And, and that's why I do think customer service professionals need to take the blinders off and they do need to think outside of their particular, uh, you know, part of the neighborhood about, Hey, what's going on in sales? What's going on in, uh, you know, product design that might actually trigger inquiries that we then have to struggle with but we could potentially take them off the table entirely if we do something different in another part of the company. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes.
0: I love that. So you talked about uh, a few minutes ago about the great resignation and you know that many companies are these days are really struggling to hire the right workers. And if so, employees are a type of customer. But what about employee candidates?
1: Yes, uh, I uh, you know, I you the term customer to me, I use it very broadly. Sometimes the customer is an individual consumer, sometimes in a B2B business, it's a business owner. Sometimes the customer is a colleague just down the hall or on the next Zoom call. Sometimes the customer is your employee or an employment candidate. Um, and so I completely believe that uh, job applicants should be treated as a type of customer. Um, because let's face it, in the bruising war for talent that goes on today, uh, you know, what are the signals that you're sending to the employment applicant that show them what you value and how they're going to be treated once they come on board? Uh, and, um, you know, it makes me think back actually to a study that was done of Southwest Airlines. Southwest, obviously, perennially rated among the best in customer experience, not only in the airline industry, but across industries. And, you know, my experience flying Southwest, I've always found The people, the employees of Southwest, the gate agents, the flight attendants and whatnot, you know, they're just kind of happy. Like they've just got this kind of positive attitude, which contrasts with the people I interact with at some other airlines that will go unnamed. And so you say to yourself, well, you know, how do they do that? Well. One interesting thing about Southwest, the study that was done, it was conducted by Stanford, and they were looking at Southwest human resource practices. And as part of it, one of the things they did was interview people who applied for employment at Southwest, in some cases were accepted, in some cases were rejected. Well, the people who were rejected for employment by Southwest, they actually reported having a better experience getting rejected by Southwest than getting hired by other companies. And to me, that just signals, you know, greatness. I mean, that's an organization that is doing such a great job engineering a great candidate experience that it's going to draw the most customer-focused people into the organization. Uh, because if you've got that customer experience gene, you want to work with a company that's aligned w- w- with that, that thought process. And what better way to see what companies have that alignment than how they treat you through the, uh, recruiting and selection process. So yeah, I think that today, a lot of the struggle that companies are having hiring people is a struggle of their own making. Because, you know, if you want to look at an experience that is devoid of all humanity, it is the job applicant experience. Anybody who has ever searched for a job knows what I'm talking about. You know, you send out a hundred resumes and 99% of the time, nobody even acknowledges, right? That they, <laughs> that they got it. Um, you know, jobs get filled and they never tell you, they never tell you that it's filled and you know, you're no longer a candidate. So the indignities that are exacted on job candidates are just horrible. And the companies that do something different, I think they stand out and I think they're going to attract the best people. So let's talk about doing something different. What's one thing
0: a business can do today to immediately start transforming the quality of the experience it offers to both customers and employees?
1: Uh, I My suggestion there would be something that I think sort of kills two birds with one stone. Uh, And it gets to that employee experience that we talked about, as well as the customer experience. And the suggestion is merely this. Go out to your frontline staff and ask them, what do our customers love? What do they hate? What do they need that we're not providing them? Uh, What stood in your way today? in delivering an exceptional experience to one of your customers. If you sit down with the front line and you ask them those kinds of questions, uh something really cool happens. What and 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 you learn from what they what, what their responses and then you act on them. That's an important part. You got to act on what you learn. But if you do that, what happens is first you're getting intelligence from your front line who are arguably the people that are most knowledgeable about the quality of your current customer experience and how to improve it. So you're getting this intelligence from them. That then, if you put into practice, you're going to gradually start to improve your your customer experience. But there's something else that goes on there by virtue of merely enlisting your frontline staff, asking them for their for their help, for their insights, and acting on them. What you also do is you enhance the employee experience because suddenly those people on the front line see that you're not viewing them as just sort of a nameless cog in the machinery. They are a valued strategic partner. They're not only delivering the experience, but they're giving you the intelligence you need so that you as an organization can improve the experience. And so that makes them feel better. It makes them feel better about their job and their place in the company. So that is my suggestion. Any leader can just start doing that today. You know, it doesn't require a a blue ribbon bureaucratic committee to approve, no capital investment required. Just go out, ask those kinds of questions to your staff and start acting on what you learn. And with that one action, you're going to both improve the customer experience as well as the employee experience. It's weird. Asking questions to the
0: frontline employees to get the answers, to deliver and transform the experience.
1: Man, that'd be so awesome if every single company (laughs) would do that. I, I mean- you must think I'm brilliant, right? I mean, it's it, this is one of those common sense things. But, you know, unfortunately, common sense is not that common. And, you know, this particular act that we're talking about, which seems so simple and straightforward, it often gets relegated to the, to the side, you know, to the back burner, because leaders just get so caught up in the whirlwind of day-to-day business that they just don't allocate time to go out, sit down with their staff, observe them delivering the experience, have an in-depth conversation with them about it. It just kind of gets pushed to the side. So yeah, you know, it sounds very straightforward, but when you're in the trenches, it just, it's, leaders have trouble allocating time for that. But it's invaluable if you if you make it happen. Yeah, I think you
0: said something else that was very important, was you give that employee the voice. Just because you might not, act on every single thing that that employee might say, they feel known and valued. Everybody else is focused on the customer experience to feel known and valued. Start with that employee. Start with that employee and say, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. And I like this because, or we're going to pause that because, or we're not going to do that because, right? Explain, give them the ability to voice what their needs are, what the customer's needs are, because they hear it every day. And then potentially do something about it and then reward them or acknowledge them of the success that they're having or that they've impacted the organization.
1: Yeah, I, I think, Nick, you know, you bring up a really good point. And this is one of the reasons why I think leaders sometimes don't engage in those conversations, because what they're thinking in their head or what they might even say out loud to their executive colleagues is, hey, if we start asking the employees, you know, like what we should be doing differently, what they need in order to do their job better, I mean, we're going to start setting expectations with them that we might not be able to honor and then we're just going to hurt morale in the end. So let's not even ask them. But that is the wrong path. Uh, because as you note, even if you can't do everything that they suggest to you, them merely seeing that you have asked and that you get back to them with a thoughtful explanation of, hey, you know, you had this one idea and um, and I totally see what you're saying, but we can't do it right now. And here's why. Let me explain why. They're going to appreciate that. You know, nine out of 10 of employees will look at that and say, hey, you know, I'm sorry that they weren't able to implement my idea, but at least they have the courtesy of coming back to me and explaining why. So, yeah, I think it's yours is a very good point. And that's why um, leaders shouldn't fear having those conversations, uh, because even if you can't do everything employees are asking for, there's still a way to Get back to them, that's going to make them feel good that their input was heard, so let's talk about the the leadership because pretending
0: that you have the ability to speak to a a company's board today, how would you convince the skeptics on that specific board that there's real value in delivering a great and differentiated customer experience?
1: Ah, uh, so this is something that had long been a thorn in my side uh, back before I started my own company when I was in the corporate world. Uh, You know, what bothered me is I saw executive teams and boards of directors, they would routinely take the leap of faith and invest in all sorts of big projects that had questionable ROIs, you know, things like hiring a multimillion-dollar celebrity CEO or embarking on a a really big merger or acquisition. I mean, these are things that nobody really knows if they're going to work out, right? But yet— They just plow ahead. They take the leap of faith. But yet when it came to making improvements in the customer experience, suddenly nobody wanted to make that leap of faith because they felt like the return on a great customer experience was soft, intangible. Uh, And so suddenly, you know, they get all the sharp pencils out and it's like, well, we got to account for every dime and know exactly where we're going to get the return And when I first launched my company, uh, Watermark, in 2009, this became an even bigger issue for me because, you know, if you're a customer experience consultancy, you got to make sure that people, at least at first, the executive decision makers, are opening their eyes to the possibility that customer experience is worth investing in. And I remember it was uh, around the holidays in December in uh, 2009, and I was struggling with this. And suddenly I said to myself, you know, what language is it that all of these business leaders speak that, that, that you need to really communicate with them in? And, and it dawned on me that it was the language, the universal business language of shareholder value. Uh, and that actually became the genesis for what's now known as the Watermark Consulting Customer Experience ROI study which is one of the most widely cited studies of its kind, and one of the first to actually show a connection between shareholder returns and customer experience quality. Uh, and the latest iteration of this study, which has 13 years of data in it, basically shows that companies that excel in customer experience outperform those that lag in customer experience by an over three to one margin in shareholder value, uh, shareholder return. And so to me, that is the exclamation point on the case for customer experience. And I find that study is really valuable to share with executive leaders who might be uh, inherently skeptical about whether customer experience pays off, um, because I'm not saying that they write a blank check after seeing that, that study. But it does suddenly open their eyes and their ears to this idea that, gee, you know, maybe this customer experience thing, maybe the ROI isn't that soft and intangible. Like, maybe it's really there. Because you look at the centerpiece graphic of this study, and it's just kind of striking when you see the disparity in performance between the companies that lead in customer experience versus those that lag. And the other thing I would add that this study shows is the companies that lag they don't just lag the the customer experience leading firms. They actually lag the market index. And that illustrates a really important point, which is that sometimes the right question is not how much is it going to cost to improve our customer experience. The right question is, what is it going to cost us if we don't do it? Because what that study has really shown is that companies that deliver a poor experience, they actually underperform the market, uh, the S&P 500 market. So, you know, there's no board of directors that's going to tolerate that. Uh, and so in my view, that's a really good instrument for kind of giving people this sort of visceral aha moment that, wow, you know what? There really might be something here. And so we should consider more closely whether we will, should be investing more in it. Yeah, if I was a senior leader and I had to go present to
0: that board, I would cut that last two minutes, go back and look at that report and start analyzing what is the risk of doing nothing? Versus improving that experience. Yeah. So I, I love yeah. that. So, because people don't j- like
1: that downside scenario. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you know, the shareholders, the board of directors, that's not they don't have an appetite for that. Yeah, At the very least, but, you, you know, nobody says to their shareholders, hey, we're going to make sure we underperform the S&P 500. <laughs> you know, that is never the goal. It's always to outperform. And according to that study, if you want to do that, you got to deliver a great customer experience consistently over the long term. I I am a big
0: cheerleader of that. So, John, I, I love this. I think there's so much more information we could continue the conversation on, but I, I need to wrap up. And so the last two questions I have for every single guest, uh, the first one is, is what book or person in customer service or customer experience
1: has influenced you the most in the past year? So I'll pause there. Yes, so I know you asked this question, Nick, because I've listened to your podcast. So I was prepared for this one. I'm actually going to utter a name that I can guarantee you nobody even knows this person. Uh, And it's a gentleman by the name of Chris Siriani, And he's the owner of a restaurant in Pennsylvania that was featured in a Wall Street Journal article in the fall. Uh, And what he did is he put up a big sign on the front door of his restaurant that said in bold capital letters, be kind or leave. And the reason that I pick him is because it's not just him, but it's, the people that are cut from that cloth, leaders who over the past year, where employees encountered all kinds of incivility from customers, uh, leaders who stood up for their employees and basically said, Hey, listen, the customer's not always right. Um, because when you say that implicitly, you're telling your employees, Hey, we all know the customer's not always right, but I got to say that. So, you know, that means you're wrong. And so, you know, this guy, the owner of a small restaurant, he he sent that signal to his employees. Uh, a more prominent individual that did the same thing was Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta, who's been very vocal about what should happen with passengers that are disruptive during flights and how they should be banned from flying on all airlines. These are examples of leaders that are showing their employees, we care for you and we're looking out for you. And so if your question is in the last year, who's inspired me, it's the leaders that have done that because I think they're striking exactly the right tone given the time that we're in. I love it. So the the second question I have for you is if you could leave a note to all customer service professionals, it's going to hit
0: everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m. What would it say? Get out.
1: Run for your lives.
0: (laughs) What I would tell them is...
1: (laughs) Do you just want to leave it with that? Is that a good one to end on? And
0: that is a great wrap. Uh, We'll talk to
1: you next week. No, what I would tell them is this. I think they actually have a very unique opportunity, given the shift that we talked about with the power between employers and employees. Uh, I think what I would tell them is, listen, not, every, not everyone can be convinced about the value of a great customer experience. There are some business leaders and some businesses that are just never going to get it, you know, except on the most superficial level. And so if you have that customer service, that customer experience gene, my advice to you is... You want to make sure you are aligning yourself, that you're tying your star to an individual and an institution that has a healthy appreciation for customer experience. Because it is so hard to, it's so easy actually to get, to just adapt to an organization where that, that culture doesn't exist. And you just sort of hope it's going to play out eventually. But my advice is, listen, if you don't see that around you and, you know, your attempts to persuade people just are not getting anywhere. Now's the time to kind of pop your head up and take a look around, because there's lots of opportunity out there. And uh, you know, my advice to customer experience and customer service professionals is: if you want to make your life happy and easier, just make sure that you are putting yourself in an environment and aligning yourself with a company uh, where they've got that same vision, that same passion for customer experience as you do. Some great advice, John. Uh, so let's say that somebody's saying.
0: I really need to find this book. I really need to get a hold of John. I need to connect with him on social. How do they go about doing that?
1: Sure. So uh, the best way to learn more about the book is to go to the official website, which is impressed2obsessed.com. That's impressed, the number two, obsessed.com. From there, you can jump to my personal website, learn more about me, my keynote speaking uh, uh, services. You can also jump to my company website, Watermark Consulting. Uh, And on social media, you can find me at uh, John Pico uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and also, of course, on LinkedIn. There it is. To my listeners, go follow, buy his book, connect
0: with him, tell him how awesome he was on the Press 1 for Nick podcast. John, thank you so much for your time. Uh, It was a a valuable 30 minutes, and I'm sure my listeners will get plenty out of this. So thanks again. Thank you, Nick. I enjoyed it. Hey listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to press one com forward slash podcast.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Press 1 for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers.
0: Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.